0: Today's episode is sponsored by College Board because your child's road to college is full of twists and turns and College Board can guide you along the way. Visit them at sat.org backslash your teen. You'll be glad you did.
1: Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph.
0: I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we're the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens.
1: And today we're talking about raising boys. We have Jennifer Fink, the creator of BuildingBoys.net and the host of the On Boys podcast, created to help us parent and nurture the men of tomorrow. Okay, so we're going to talk about our boys because we each have two boys.
0: I remember I grew up in a household, two girls and one boy, and my brother is the oldest and very cerebral, kind of intellectual guy, like not a physical guy, didn't play sports. I mean, certainly much more physical as an adult. So when I had the boys, all they did was touch each other, roll on top of each other. They were so physical, I thought I was going to die. And I remember, it's funny, I remember having Lane, my daughter, and the boys were five and two and a half. And I remember I was holding Lane, she was probably a few weeks old, and calling the preschool director and being like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, I can't even take care of the baby because these two are constantly on top of each other. And I remember thinking like, well, Maybe it's normal. Maybe I just, you know, I don't know. And I remember, I remember my mother would comment and be like, this just does not seem normal. I'm like, thanks. I mean, I just thought it was like the most bizarre thing.
1: Well, so my second kid is a boy. First girl, then boy, then two girls, then boy. So my son went to school in the morning, all put together, shirt tucked in, came home the same way looking Crazy. exactly how he left in the morning. So everyone else is talking about their kids, their boys and how they come home and they've rolled through mud and and I didn't have that boy. I was just so grateful. Like I I had this boy who sat in red and oh my god and played with whoever was in the house in this quiet way and loved to build things and do puzzles and and I don't think a toy was turned into a gun until number 5. And then number five came along, and he was more of the stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're going to hear from Jennifer Fink about her four boys, I think, is how my fifth was, mm-hmm. which was all about, like, taking anything that you could find and pretending that it was a gun. And he also loves to build, but he likes to build things that explode. Like, he just has a different approach. Yeah. Like, the uh, the first son— Likes to build Lego like he did one of these roller coaster, no, a Ferris wheel, this huge Ferris wheel and attention to detail and hours at the same task. And the fifth one can spend the same amount of time devoted to something that will blow
0: up. So funny. Well, and I do, I think there's a couple things. One is I think if my boys had been reversed in order because their personalities are super different. My second son is more the one to sit there and line up toys and he used to line up the Yu-Gi-Oh cards and do all of those things. And I think had they come in the opposite order, I don't think it would have been as rough and tumble. So I think some of it was the personality of the older one and expressing his dominance. I don't think the second one would have had the need to do that. So I think that's different. I also think that depending the birth order, so you had a girl first, and I think it changes the tenor of the household. I think. I don't know. I don't know. I always wonder about that.
1: Well, each kid brought a different personality. It didn't matter gender. Yeah. The biggest thing I'll say in my house is that before they were leaving for college, so the girls had to make sure that they weren't growing up to be me. And they had to individuate by pushing away from me and finding me Mm. super annoying about, like, even just breathing. And the boys had to do that with my husband and not me. So there was a little more delight that senior year and summer before the boys left because they were were still finding me pleasant enough to be with. And by then, like my vision of us holding hands and skipping together to enjoy the summer before they went to college— was so not their image. Their image was like, I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> so the boys, like, had to, had to kind of individuate in a more aggressive way from my husband and the girls from me. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Well, you no, know, no, haven't no, no. sent a girl yet. Yeah, but. yeah,
0: I haven't seen it, but I see it with other things. And so I I often think, and we, we talk about it all the time, like just how how boys treat their mothers versus the girls treating their mothers and the, with the fathers. I mean, it, it's all really, it's all so different. But I, I, I think, I wonder if moms, if, if depending what your experience was i mean you grew up with two brothers although, i did but, so it's so
1: true yeah <laughs>
0: So, I just told Sue she didn't know till just now yeah, that but she grew my up with two brothers. Up, it's
1: so hard to kind of I don't know It's first of all it's hard to even get back to that Yeah, there, there was a lot of activity.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No it's interesting because I and so I, I often think it's your own lens what you bring to it and expectations and I remember running into a woman at preschool her boys are just slightly younger than mine and she came up to me with this look on her face I'm like oh boy she's like can I ask you something? I'm like yeah. She's like do your boys constantly have their hands on each other? I'm like, yes. And I remember thinking, I'm almost as happy about the answer to this as she is. She was so nervous to ask me. And she's like, oh my God, you know, my mother thinks it's so crazy because she it was, it was my story. And I thought, oh, wow. Like, just again, like what your expectation is as the mother because I didn't, I wasn't in a household like that. So I thought, what the heck? Like, this is crazy. Why are they always touching each other?
1: I think that, you know, boys tend to be more physical in the house than, than girls are. But really, at the end of the day, whatever we're given in terms of our children's demeanor and energy, and we we kind of just have to embrace it because, like, wanting what the other household has and, like, those boys that sit lined up yes. and dressed and, and proper, and that's not your house, it's like both of them have their advantages and disadvantages. It's such a wonderful thing being—
0: having the gift of raising sons and daughters. I mean, you have more than I do, but I I think, I always say it's like a Petri dish at the house. You know, it's just, there are these little science experiments, and it's such a wonderful thing not to get to choose the gender and just...
1: What you get is what you get. Yeah, but what's my sister's line? You get what you get, and you don't get upset. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay, so up next is our conversation with Jennifer Fink, creator of BuildingBoys.net and the On Boys podcast. We can't wait for you to join us.
0: I've been thinking about how our kids prepare for a sport, conditioning in the off season and practicing every day for a few months before the games begin. Taking the SAT is really no different. If your teen really wants to do their best, it's because they have practiced the timing and the questions. There's a good chance the first few times your teen practices, their timing will be off, and they'll likely be nervous about this test they have
1: heard has high stakes. But there's great news in this story thanks to College Board, our sponsor. Your kid can prepare for the SAT for free with official SAT practice on Khan Academy. They use your kid's previous SAT, PSAT, or PSAT 10 results to give them personalized practice recommendations and a schedule that works for them. It's super easy to set up and keeps them on track by sending reminder emails about when they should be practicing according to the schedule they built. There are so many resources on this site, thousands of practice questions, video tutorials, even full-length practice tests. I really love how it's all in one spot puts my kid in charge and it's free of charge. Check out sat.org backslash your teen. You'll
0: be glad you did. And thanks to our sponsor, College Board.
1: Jennifer Fink is the creator of buildingboys.net and the On Boys podcast, a one-stop shop for parents, educators, and others who care about building healthy boys. Jennifer, welcome. Hello. So um, why don't we start with you are the mom of four boys. So Mm -hmm. you get this window into kind of like the stereotypes everyone thinks of boys and let us know which ones are real in your house and which ones are not.
2: So uh, things that I learned were real, this whole uh, narrative that boys are active and a little bit crazy. Yep, that became very real in my house. That was some of the first stuff I noticed. The fact that they are inherently attracted to guns and weapons play and will make anything a gun, whether you provide plastic guns or not, that was a real one I saw. And fart jokes. Fart jokes (laughs) are definitely a big thing.
1: (laughs) Okay, so what were the ones that you knew of that weren't true in your house?
2: You know, what was most interesting to me was that when I started this parenting journey, I naively thought that these were all just stereotypes that were sort of made up and that the way we raised our kids contributed to them. For me, the biggest surprise was realizing that there is actually something to these stereotypes that they came from a place of commonality and facts and things people have observed with boys. And in some cases, there's even some biological explanations for these things. So for me, that was the biggest surprise.
1: So when it comes to like the emotional development, do you feel like that was uh, like, did your boys never share with you? Did you try to kind of?
2: It varies. I would say my oldest has shared with me more. But he's also more verbal and more expressive than, say, my number two son. My number two son, from the time he was little, he didn't like to be hugged and cuddled if he was upset. He wanted to go off by himself and work through it. So I can't really say if these are boy characteristics or individual kid characteristics. I'm not 100% sure. Okay.
0: Okay. What's your, now, you don't have any girls, obviously, but what's your, what's your sense of the biggest challenge parents of girls face that you don't?
2: Hmm. My sense is that girls continue to face so much pressure to be what other people want them to be, which too often is still attractive and popular, and that can get in the way of simply being yourself.
0: And do you think your boys didn't have that? You talked about boys number one and two. So maybe Mm -hmm. one or one. What about boys number three and four in your family? Do you feel like that does
2: not exist in your world? I feel like it exists. It certainly exists, right? All kids, middle school and high school, you feel that. But I don't feel like it's to the same degree. And I have to say, having been a former girl and now being a (laughs) parent of boys, I wasted so much time time, caring about what I looked like and if he was paying attention to me when I was in like seventh grade, because most of the seventh grade boys aren't even there yet. They are not thinking about that yet. Their energies, my my perspective is that boys, at least at those ages, are a lot better at keeping the focus on themselves and what they are interested in. And I'm sure there's all kinds of societal things that play into this too, but That's something that I've noticed.
1: It's so interesting that you have the lens to be able to tell moms of daughters or to tell those daughters, don't even think about it because they're not worried about you.
2: (laughs) Right? Lower your expectations for homecoming, ladies. At least in my house, oh my gosh, you guys, we had homecoming a couple of weeks ago, right? All the moms of girls I knew we're posting pictures online of their girls, and I'm talking all dolled up the dress, the hair, the nails, all posed and looking nice, while my son is literally running around the house looking for his pants. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would he be had, a funny meme. <laughs> he had not been planning his outfit for weeks and weeks. Like I think it was 2 days before, yes it was. Thank you Amazon Prime that we ordered the bow tie he wanted and it thanks to next day shipping it was magically there. And then he had to find the pants and when he found them, I kid you not, there was mud on the cuff because the last time he wore these pants was for golf. In the spring,
1: yeah. So don't have higher expectations than you don't need to have, have. <laughs>
2: higher expectations, and it doesn't mean that they don't care about you or they don't like you. It just means that their focus is not on making this the most magical moment of your entire life.
1: Well said. So I think you did a stint with homeschooling, right? Mm -hmm. So what prompted you to do that and how did it go?
2: We ended up homeschooling. We took our oldest son out of school halfway through first grade because he was in kindergarten when he started saying, I hate school, which I expected would probably happen at some point because I think all kids at some point hate school. I did not think it was going to happen in kindergarten. And as we talked about it some more, um, for him... There was kind of a poor match between what was being taught in the classroom and what his interests were. There were some things in which he could go faster than his class was going and wanted to. There were some issues socially and on the playground because at that point in his life, and it's funny now, I just told you guys he was in a a musical. At that point in his life, he was into like deep and involved imaginative play in scenarios, And a lot of the other first grade boys were not. So all of this came together. And ultimately, we made the decision to pull him out largely so he could go at his own speed and pursue interest that he had. And we ended up homeschooling for seven and a half years. And those two things were the beautiful thing for me all along. Homeschooling gave our kids the chance to develop at their own pace. If they were ready to fly, they could fly. If they needed more time, so what, big deal. They could take more time. They didn't have to feel like a failure if they weren't reading by a certain age. They had that gift of time. And then it allowed them to develop their skills by following interests that were important to them. So for instance, that oldest son, Shortly after he started homeschooling, he got interested in selling produce at our local green market, a farmer's market. And he ended up learning a ton through that. You know, there's the science of growing things. There's the um, customer service of talking to people of all different ages. This is where his business skills really began developing and blooming, (laughs) blooming, blooming. (laughs) <laughs> and later on, he developed an interest in phishing. And because I'm a writer, you know, I see various job boards online and I saw somebody that was looking for somebody to write phishing content for a website. My son at age 14 applied for that, got that gig, <laughs> wrote for that site for years. And that's when his writing skills developed because finally it was something he was interested in. So you gave them a gift. I'm not sure that they fully realize that yet. I'm still waiting until they turn 40, but I'm hoping they will realize Well, it.
1: you know you gave them something special, so you don't have to wait for them to say it. But you did also have a change in your household, and you ended up getting divorced. And what you write about that was that up until that point, you were the primary parent. Yep. And yet the law in Wisconsin required that you have shared parenting. Mm-hmm. So... I was curious, how did you, you were forced to do it, but how did you wrap your head around the fact that what you'd always taken care of was now going to be shared?
2: Not very gracefully at first. It felt like insult to injury. It felt like, why should I have to give part of what I have always done to somebody who has showed no interest in it, in all these years that we've been together, because I was the one that would do the research on educational things. I was the one that would do the same thing for healthcare. And because of my background, I was a nurse, like that made sense. And same thing with education. Like I research and write that for a living. It was really, really difficult. And it felt unfair to ask our kids to have to make changes because of this, because they were homeschooling and ultimately the divorce was what led to them um, going back to what I call school school. It was really, really tough. But ultimately I realized both through some of the work that I was doing professionally and just living it that my boys continuing to have a strong and regular relationship with their dad was way more important and ultimately much better for them and for me than if I had just kind of taken over everything and he had just been a weekend parent. How
0: about now? I I know you're remarried now. Tell us about the stepdad thing, how that's going
2: (laughs) and uh, how the boys respond. We are really non-traditional. I got married about a year and a half, a little more than a year and a half ago, and we are still in two separate houses and that is pretty much the plan for the foreseeable future. My current husband, he had also been previously married. His children are older and they are all out of the house. And he learned through that experience because his first wife had two children when they got married. He knows exactly how hard this whole blending families can be and his point of view and and mine My boys already have a dad. He is a very involved dad. So Mike, my husband, is not going to try and come in and parent. He is there. He is a resource. He is happy to help out, be involved. He was just at a soccer playoff game with me for, you know, one of my sons. But we're kind of keeping things separate right now.
1: Wow. That is unconventional. And I'm really happy for you that it's working out so well. That's great.
2: It works out well that we live literally minutes from each other. And because the boys split their time between households, when my boys are at their dad's house, I'm over at Mike's house.
1: That's great. Turning a little more serious right now, you know, we're in this Me Too generation and so much good is coming out of all of this exposure, but it's also really hard to talk to our boys about it. So how how have you done that with your boys? How have you addressed it?
2: You know, I'm muddling through just like every other parent, I think, right now. The good news about all of these scandals and about the Me Too movement is that it's given all of us as adults lots and lots of opportunities to bring it up and to talk with our boys. And to talk about things like the importance of consent, to talk about things like... I, you know, I can't believe that I even still have to say this, but you know, you probably shouldn't take pictures of yourself and send them to people, all kinds of opportunities to talk about it. However, I've learned, I have to do a lot of listening because I see these news stories through the lens of being female in the society and they see them through the lens of being male. So I have to listen to what they think. And we've had some really interesting discussions. So how accountable should you hold an adult for something that they perhaps did when they were 16? How long should that continue to be a factor? If the behavior continues, we agree it absolutely should continue to. Wait, you
1: asked them that question? Like, what did they think about
2: that? We've talked about that because so specifically when uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were coming up. One of the things the boys were expressing to me was that they don't think it's fair that something that he supposedly did or allegedly did in high school could affect his career at this point in time. So as a parent, it's a good time to talk about, yeah, things that you do as a teenager can affect people's perceptions of you when you apply for jobs. And I think even as an adult, it is an interesting question. Now that the internet is out there, And things that teenagers are doing can be recorded for all of posterity. Is it fair to continue to judge adults on things that they did when they were teens if they have grown and changed since then? I think that's key right there.
0: So that is a great segue to the question we're going to ask next, which is that, you know, you've you've written about the good things that tech can be used for, right? Mm-hmm. We love that you've done this. But did you ever encounter a problem with tech, either, you know, the amount of time they're spending or actual content? And how did you set those rules in your house?
2: I think that every single parent has encountered a problem with tech, right? <laughs> we all worry about are they on too much and how much is too much, and Every single kid, and most of us adults, are going to do something stupid online. Every single one of them. Yes, we recently ran into an issue, and I'm not going to go into details. I protect privacy. But it's really hard. I find it hard as a parent, as I'm sure all of you do as well, because you can set rules teenagers are going to find their way around the rules. No, we don't know about that. Oh, you don't know that? (laughs) No. Let me ask you how to set this up so my kids don't do (laughs) anything stupid on or offline.
1: You need to look elsewhere.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you set the guidelines and you set the expectations. And at some point, somebody's going to cross the line. And so you talk about it. And in this particular case, it ended up being uh, brought to the attention of the school as well. So the school was involved. So there was somebody else saying, hey, um, this is not okay, which as a parent, I really appreciated. I can't do this all by myself. As they get to be teenagers, they tune me out more and more and more. So I need other voices around me helping to um, reinforce desired behavior.
1: Okay, so... You've got four boys. they are four different people. A boy is not the only thing that defines your family. But you do have to find a way to connect with them. And so in my house, it, there's often a gender divide where, like, the girls are going to a rom-com and the go- boys are going to a shoot 'em up movie. What did you do in your house to be able to connect with each boy around things that they were interested
2: in? Well, we watched a lot of Star Wars movies mm-hmm. when they were younger, and I have to tell you, I had never watched a Star Wars movie all the way through before, so this was, this was a big deal for me. I did have to enter their worlds a lot. I have had a lot of conversations about lawnmowers, <laughs> a lot of conversations about snowmobiles, four-wheelers, and fishing, and I don't personally care about any of those things. <laughs> None of them. Like, I would never want to sit down and have a conversation about these things, except for the fact that they are important to my kids. So I have learned about those things. It's it's enlarged my world and allowed me to connect with them and understand what they're doing more. And then I think a common connection point for all of us was we started camping. When I was still married to their dad, we used to go up north and spend a week at a cabin. After the divorce, there was no money for a cabin, but my siblings bought me a tent. And we went camping because I wanted to keep up that we're going up north this summer tradition. And I cried that first time. I cried because I did not know how to do this all by myself. And it was overwhelming. And I shouldn't have to do this by myself. But since then, we have gone on at least a week-long camping trip every summer And it really has been a way that we connect because we are out in nature. So by definition, we are away from technology. Cell phones don't work as well when you're in the middle of nowhere. And we spend time together. We hike, we go out on the water, we swim, and then there's around the campfire. And that's really been a common base for us.
1: That's great. I love that. You know, my thought of four boys in a house is how many injuries you're going (laughs) to (laughs) have.
2: Right. I just think, like, there must be
1: constant roughhousing and someone climbing a tree. And what are the things, what are the moments when you literally were standing there holding your breath, like, just praying that a kid wouldn't get hurt?
2: Probably when my third son was shimmying his way up the swing set at the playground. You know, like, there's the swing set. Most kids, at least rule followers like myself, the way you play on that is you get on the swing and you swing. Maybe you twist in the swing. Maybe you swing really high and jump off. But no, my then six-year-old decided that the leg of this was something to climb up. And he climbed all the way up. He shimmied all the way up to the top and sat on like that crossbar that goes all the way across the top. That was one that had me holding my breath.
1: And how about when they got older? Anything like teenager time?
2: Oh, I really try not to look. I do better if I don't look. I mean, they ride four-wheelers and they ride snowmobiles, and I hear some of these stories later when they tell me how fast those snowmobiles go, and it's just a good thing I wasn't there seeing it.:
1: Before our last question, I'll just ask you this: What's with the no coats for teenage boys in the middle of winter? I have no idea,
2: you guys. Does anybody know the answer to that? Well, you've had
1: four chances to learn the answer. So if you can't figure (laughs) it out, who can?
2: Here's what I have decided. It is totally not worth fighting. If they're cold, if they are really cold and uncomfortable, they'll put on a coat. When my guys go snowmobiling, trust me, they dress appropriately. If they're just walking into school and they have their hoodie on, eh, I don't care. One less thing for them to lose. Let's think about it that way.
0: Oh, that's good. That's a good twist on that. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so we're going to finish this up with a question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest parenting myth?
2: For me, I think it's that we all sort of have this idea that if we do all of the right things, our kids will turn out great. Parenting has shown me over and over and over again, both in my own life and talking to other families and interacting with other people that it doesn't work that way. You can be a really good parent and stuff can still happen. Your kids can still struggle. So the upside of realizing that is it takes some of the pressure off. You really don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect at all. Loving your kids is enough. And your family is going to go through some hard stuff because all families do. You keep it up. You keep doing what you're doing. You keep loving each other and you find your way through.
1: Mm, That was lovely. Thanks so much. Really, really appreciate it. This was great.
2: All right. Take care.
1: Thanks for joining
0: us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive
1: our newsletter, head on over to YourTeenMag.com. Your team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael DeAloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend.
0: You can find more from us at YourTeenMag.com, at EvergreenPodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.